I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing because now it is even more important that these people are outwardly, publicly against me, and now I can show them exactly the power of God. Hello, this is the Adventure Through the Bible podcast. My name is Matt. Joining us today are our friends, Karen. No, I just put a bite in my mouth. Hi. <laughs> Cutting room floor. Her, like, oh no, oh no. Going right I in there. I was eating cantaloupe. <laughs> I told you I was starting. <laughs> so we have Karen eating cantaloupe. We have Gracie. <laughs> Good. I was going to say good morning. Okay, we are just all out of sync now. <laughs> we are. This and, is we, and we have Amy. Ah, and my mouth is empty. I'm ready to rock it. <laughs> <laughs> Amy <Show> came prepared. <laughs> Nobody likes to show off. <laughs> well, I'm a little, I'm a little jealous because I don't have any fruit or anything to eat here. Oh, I have a piece of cheese. Amazing, you guys. Woo! <laughs> I'm looking forward to dinner because we're recording. We're recording on an evening instead of a morning, and uh, I haven't had a chance to really eat anything yet. And I'm a little jealous of Karen. But... <laughs> she says the cantaloupe is good, so that's uh, that's a that's a plus. That is a plus. Having a good melon. Anyway, speaking of, oh, I was going to make a really stupid segue about melons and brains, and I'm not going to. I don't think I'll Please do don't. that. I don't think I'll do that. We'll just, uh, how about we just get into the uh, discussion for the evening? The other day, hang on, I have to tell you this. The other day, my mom goes, yeah, sometimes Matt's filler is kind of, kind of odd. <laughs> no, like, yeah, I'm going to say that on the air. <laughs> you know, what do you do? <laughs> you put me in charge and that's <laughs> what you're going to get. <clears throat> you're going to get something weird. All right. Well. Tonight we're going to be studying Daniel chapter 6. So our listeners will recall that Daniel was carried away from uh, from Judah in the early days of the siege of from Babylon. And as Babylon was taking over uh, Jerusalem and Judah and um, yeah, and Daniel and some of his friends, a lot of uh, seems like some of the more elite, more desirable. That's kind of a weird way to put it, I guess, but. They were taken first because uh, they they were seen as having um, good qualities. And so, so I had Daniel... to look that up. Okay. So we, were talk- we were talking about that last week, or yeah, just this last weekend. And so I looked it up, and it we, they did actually go in waves. So the first one was nobility, mm-hmm. and the higher echelon then then came just all the way down, I guess, just to the working man that they needed to to do that. Yeah. So, so go ahead. Daniel and his friends did come in the first wave. Yeah. Yeah. So it's interesting to, to wonder, you know, what Daniel's uh, family life, you know, what his regular life was. Was he was he part of no, nobility? Was he, um, you know, was he just in some high higher up echelon of society that made him seem more more uh, valuable? Well, we, we know he was because that was the group that was described that he and Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were in. Yes. Those are the ones, those were the young men that were selected for tr- the special training. Right, right. Either yeah. smarts or nobility. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they were they were selected, they were chosen, and they were taken early, and uh, and so they were they were brought into Babylon. They were Daniel has at this point he's he's gained some notoriety in Babylon after having uh, served under Nebuchadnezzar and all those things that happened with him. And then last week or last time we talked about uh, Belshazzar. And the weird things happening with Belshazzar, with writing on the wall, and and that sort of thing. And so then when we get into Daniel chapter 6 now, we have seen Babylon change hands from the Babylonians to now the Medo-Persians with uh, after, after Belshazzar's fall. And this is kind of, not to jump ahead a little bit, but this is a perfect segue into exactly what we were just talking about, the waves, and how chapter 6 starts off that it was um, when Darius had set over the kingdoms, the three governors, or they call them presidents and some other some other stuff that I was reading, but it went exactly along with that smarts and nobility that Daniel had, and the reputation that you're talking about, that made him, let's just say, number one. His his history and his um, faithfulness, maybe, and his ability to to do that kind of preceded everything, and and Darius knew about it, so he made him number one already. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I feel like his wisdom just showed through, and so even a conquering king comes in, and he's like, you know what, that guy should continue to serve. Right. So yeah, Daniel does as Darius or Darius. I've heard it pronounced both ways. Take your pick. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna choose or judge against you for it. But um, he he sets up specifically. He wants to set up three. It looks like three different governors. One of which was Daniel over all of the satraps. So the satraps, like the way I take it, is like little governors under the bigger governors. And so there's governors over the entirety of of the kingdom and then there's these these higher ups over and daniel's doing such a good job of it that darius wants to put him in charge of everything well those other governors they do not like the sound of that um i don't know if it's because maybe they were babylonian elite and didn't like that daniel being this captive brought in was showing them all up or or just what but like tracy said darius wants to put him in charge daniel that is wants to put daniel in charge and that's actually what i i had read in some other supplemental reading this week is that it was it was just out of the spirit of jealousy that they were i think it goes on i want to say later on might be doing some introductions or maybe it was something else that I read about basically saying, well, isn't this part of the group that you brought over from being conquered from Israel? So, you know, in a, in a roundabout way, trying to like demean him and saying, you know what, he's, he's one of the conquered. He should not be over us, you mm-hmm. know, because we're Babylonian. So I think that was once again, it was just a way, like Amy had said, he distinguished himself already as, you know, with his intelligence most possibly with his faithfulness and how he um, was able to interpret dreams and he found favor with God that they were jealous. Yeah. Sort of a similar to the Joseph story where somebody brought in ends up being 
tremendously important and powerful in the kingdom. Not something you see regularly, but when it does happen, I guess people are going to stand up and pay attention. Yeah, I found it interesting when we look at the actual text. It says, then the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find nothing or nor any fault in him because he was faithful. Neither was there any error found in him. And then it says, and they said to themselves, we will not find any occasion against Daniel, except we find it concerning the law of his God. So he's, you know, he's always so faithful to God. They actually look to his faith to try to destroy him. So I've got this timeline Bible, and I wondered how much time had passed. And um, it was about a year, is what I'm seeing here. So about a year from the time that Belshazzar got taken over by the Medes and Persians. So Daniel is impressing a whole new king, a whole new fellow set of national leaders. So I think probably his lack of longevity with these people, like, hey, here's a local, a Hebrew slave, right, who's been held in captivity all these years, and he served the Babylonian king, and what, you're just going to put him over all of us? Like, so so to the Medo-Persian king, Darius, right? I think there's great occasion for jealousy here, especially when he is uncorruptible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I can see why it would be a thing. A guy, a guy coming at it from where he was, and and you know, if if you're considering that Babylon, and of course, we're going back to when Babylon was under the Babylonians, but considering that they were the ones doing the conquering and thinking that they would be the ones in charge. And how how long do we know by your timeline there? Do we know how long after uh, Nebuchadnezzar this is? So Nebuchadnezzar, uh, yeah, let me look back. So ver- so chapter one, verse two says, and the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand. So into Nebuchadnezzar's hand with part of the vessels of the house of God. Okay. That happened 606. So verse 7, or verse 1, happens the year before that. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, came into Jerusalem and besieged it. Remember, that was a brutal, like, Mm -hmm. year-plus siege. So by 606, Jehoiakim has fallen, uh, the city has fallen, the captivity starts. So 606 to now... 537. So that's 69 years. So if he was a young man when he was brought, he's an old dude now. Yeah, no, that's interesting that he's been around that long. So, yes. yes. He's an old dude and he's an old Hebrew eunuch slave who was held captive under Nebuchadnezzar. And then, you know, and then all of a sudden he rises to the top of the kingdom under the new king and hit, and that king's minions can barely stand it. Yeah. Well, I was just doing the math, too, and I get 85 years because he went into the captivity most likely at 18 years of age uh, and then six to seven years pass. So probably he's about 85. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So especially in that time frame, I would think that that's a that's pretty darned old. Yeah. Yeah, but he's vegan. So 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> and that's the lesson of the of the chapter. <laughs> End of episode. Lesson of chapter six in Daniel. Daniel was vegan. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That's funny. Well, so these these governors, they realize, I think somebody may have already said that, they realize that they cannot find anything that Daniel has done against Darius. Nothing at all. They can find no reason at all to be able to condemn him for anything. And so they realize that the only way they're going to be able to do anything is if it involves Daniel's faith in God. And so they want to... They want to uh, set a trap here for him. Now, let me back up with that just a second here, because let's let's take into consideration what's happened to Daniel. Right. Daniel has been taken from his home. He has been I mean, he's probably he's seen things happen. I would imagine he was aware of things happening like Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego getting tossed into a furnace. Um, He has seen the. He has seen what happened to Belshazzar and the disrespect that he had towards his uh, to, towards Daniel's people and Daniel's faith or Daniel's religion at any rate. And now we're into a whole other king and Daniel is showing loyalty to a king who is essentially his captor. I find that I find that really, really kind of interesting that, that he would have this kind of a loyalty to this ruler. He's been riding the razor's edge since he got there of having to prove himself to number one, to his captors. Mm -hmm. So I think he put into play, you know what? He followed, he followed the prophecy to the beginning. What did God say? He said, go there, do your 70 years, Mm -hmm. do it faithfully. Just get it over with, learn the lessons that you're going to learn as a nation. And, and Daniel took that to heart. He was a perfect servant to every king that he came up um, with, basically. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's been tried. He's been tried with Nebuchadnezzar every single dream with death. That was the penalty for for him, his failure, if that happened. He was going to be put to death, like with all the other, basically, magicians or soothsayers or whatever they had interpreters there. So he's been demonstrating this from the beginning, and I think, too, that that's what they saw is like, what can we possibly do to this guy at, what do we say, 85 years old? Mm-hmm. I'm sure he wasn't, you know, in the limelight of things and, you know, going to all the royal banquets and stuff like that. He was just he literally prayed. He prayed and did his job. Well, it was reminding me from what Tracy was saying, you know, uh, Daniel was familiar with all those prophecies and Daniel probably was familiar with the saying that Jeremiah had said that you should seek the prosperity of the city where you are captive. Like there's a verse that says that in Jeremiah. And he Mm -hmm. says, you know, pray for the city, uh, pray for its prosperity, seek the prosperity of the city that you are in, uh, which is a very interesting passage. And Daniel must have known that. Mm -hmm. To me, in a lot of ways, it speaks to the idea of wanting where you the, the thing you know where you live the leadership where you live you want them to succeed rather than fail and i think there is a strange concept that people get right now where they want they actually want to see leaders fail because they don't like the leader 
I would bet we could go around the circle here and we could all have our own opinions about certain politicians here. And maybe between the four of us, we would, you know, I guarantee it. We wouldn't all agree on, on them, you know, but would it, does it make any sense for us to seek their failure? It doesn't, at least it doesn't to me, because if they fail, we suffer. And so, exactly. and so to me, this is kind of where Daniel is living that, like Tracy said, be supportive of of it. I mean, of course, as much as you can. I mean, there's there's going to be times when you simply can't. Just like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego said, "No, we're not going to follow that. We're not going to do what you just said." But that wasn't against the king. That was just in preservation of their faith, you know. And uh, so it just it really doesn't make sense to seek the downfall of your leadership. You know, and that that draws a distinct parallel to exactly what you're saying in our times that we're living in and where Daniel was at, because those presidents, they didn't care. Mm. Exactly what you're saying. They wanted him to fail, not thinking, okay, there's a stake in our city, in our country, that Daniel being number one, if he fails, there's a possibility we all fail. Mm -hmm. And they were blinded by that. And some of the other reading I was doing said, you know what, this could have been inspired by Satan himself and just evil angels trying to corrupt these people that were saying, you know what, forget self-preservation. You just want his destruction. And I think that's what happens when we get so caught up in self that we lose track of all the ramifications that could happen from the person that's tied so closely to us failure. Okay. So these guys, they do realize they want Daniel to fail, but they can't find a way to make it happen in any way that's legitimate. And so they're going to they're they're going to twist things around and make something happen because they know that the only way they can get Daniel to do anything against the king or against the government is if it somehow goes against his faith, much like with Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, bow to the bow to the image and worship it. No, we're not going to do that. You know, was that was that against the kingdom? No, but it did defy the authority of the kingdom, and so uh, it put them into a into into a, a a tricky place to be. And so this is sort of what they're going to try to do with Daniel: find a way so that his faith makes him go counter to the kingdom. And you know, and so to me, in my reading, is the best way to do that is if you blow smoke at somebody when you make <laughs> you blow them up, you fill their head with how great they are. And how you're doing this for them to get them more recognition, flattery, self, and what happens? He takes it hook, line, and sinker without thinking about the big picture. Yeah, Darius, that is. Yes. Yeah, I think this whole thing is so strange. I mean, they come to the king and they basically say, you know, for the next 30 days, if if people don't worship you and bring all of their, you know, their petitions to you, they should be cast in a den of lions. I mean, it's just, to me, that's a very Eastern way of thinking. It's not something that, like, you or I would probably be like, what? You know, why would I want people to worship me? Why would I want, but, it, but during that time and in that culture, that was like a prestige thing. You'd have to hit me with something else, I think. Yeah, I was I was reading in some notes in this. Uh, what do they call it? I always forget what they call it. The cultural backgrounds Bible that I have. Yeah. <clears throat> and they were saying that the Medo-Persians really didn't ever set the set their kings up as deity. 
And so possibly what's happening here is it isn't so much pray to the king, but it's like if you have something that you need to take to God, you take it to the king first and then he will then he presents it. So it could have been it's just this. The king is the cutoff man, you know, and but then for so when they make this decree. And they get Darius to sign it, it may just have been as simple as Darius was just thinking people will come to me. And he may not have even been thinking that this is going to affect the Hebrew people at all. He may have been considering that this was strictly going to be for the Persian people because they were very they were being very considerate. That's not quite the word I want to use, but they were allowing the con- their conquered people to really follow their own religions. They weren't trying to push anything like that on them. Uh, it wasn't about that for for that conquered for those conquered nations. And so. When they come to Darius, they do this sneaky thing, probably, well, I think definitely, Darius hadn't really thought it through of what it, what, what it might um, entail. Um, well, one other thing I was kind of thinking about was, you know, at the, so Darius is kind of an interesting character, and there's a lot of confusion about who he really was mm-hmm. um, historically, but most people think he's some sort of relative of Cyrus's. Um, because Cyrus is, you know, the actual king of the mm-hmm. whole Medo-Persian Empire. But so I'm kind of envisioning this younger person. So he's a younger person who is trying to do a good job in his kingdom. And then these princes come to him and, you know, essentially offer him this prestige and whatnot. And Daniel has been apparently for him a faithful and wise counselor. And so that adds a lot of depth to my thinking because I'm thinking, okay, so Daniel was a consistent friend to a young person who has a tremendous amount of responsibility. So I guess I was just thinking about, who, you know, who is who is um, Darius at this point in history? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's all important to you know give us some context because we don't get a lot of it here in the in the text itself, only that. Only that Darius is is uh, in charge of some stuff, and and that uh, he gets duped into doing this thing, to the point where they even make him sign it so that it can't be changed. Because apparently, the way Medo Persian law is, I mean, I guess it's like any law. If you get it in writing, you get it ratified, then it's binding. So we're looking at now a, a law that cannot be changed even by Darius himself. And so then we come to Daniel then. We know that Daniel knew about the decree, and yet he chooses to continue to follow the customs that he has already established for himself, which is to go up into his private room, open the windows, and pray three times a day where people can see him and hear him. And it begs a question then, knowing that this decree is in place. What would it hurt for Daniel to have simply not opened the windows? So I, I think going back into 613 is kind of what we were saying before that they kind of talked Darius into doing this, but they start with Oking. Um, I just missed, lost it. That Daniel, who is one of the captives from Judea. So they're already trying to belittle him at that point. Mm-hmm. But it says also, once he signed it, they were like, they kind of celebrated. They had that little um, pre-party thinking that that was his demise. 
And Daniel didn't look at it that way. He was like, he was going to continue to do what he was doing because I think that's where his faith was at that point. He had been delivered. I don't want to say it almost became second nature, but I think his faith was that strong that he felt he was doing what he needed to do. So he didn't have any fear of that. It was, Mm -hmm. you know what? The Lord, just like his companion said at the fiery furnace, you know what? God can save me. But if he chooses not to, I'm okay with that too. And I think he just kind of took it at that aspect and was not was not wavered in anything that they were going to do to him. Yeah, if he has made if he has made it his custom to do this every day, that's going to tell that's kind of tells me right off that Daniel has made a he's made it his habit to be faithful in small things. And if you can be faithful in small things consistently, it's going to make it easier to be faithful when the big things come along. I would disagree with your definition of a small thing. Okay. I think that people lose track of how important conversation with God is. If you think about any relationship that you've ever tried to be in in your life, can you imagine trying to be in that relationship without communicating with that person? Right. So for the idea of a Christian considering prayer to be a small thing is the exact opposite of what they should be thinking. Well, and I don't mean to say that prayer is a small thing, but it is going to be easier to pray than it is to be, you know, stand up in the face of life threatening situations, I guess. And I, and you know, the, I mean, the prayer, the constant prayer life just tells me that he has a habit of, consistency. of yeah. consistency. Well, and that's and the actually, big thing is the consistency. No, this is almost an irony, though, right? Because what you're both saying is sort of the same thing, because his consistent prayer life is what puts him in harm's way. Mm-hmm. So he has continuously done this. This is his habit. They know where to look for him three times a day. He'll always be in the same place. And so his consistent conversation with God has now become dangerous. Yeah. See, and this is why I like to, this is why I like this form because you know what? We can all look at things from a different perspective, mm-hmm. but it all goes back to the same thing. And just, I, I don't know if we roll it back like 15 minutes ago, you were talking about our nation now and how um, people want the demise of leaders just for the sake of being right on, you know, which side they've chosen. But if you look at Daniel at this point, he was saying, in essence, why would I stop praying now when the nation needs it the most? Mm -hmm. I'm not going to stop doing what I'm doing because now it is even more important that these people are outwardly, publicly against me. And now I can show them exactly the power of God. And how faithful I am by continuing to open up the shutters and allowing them to see I'm still going to pray no matter what. And so I think actually not skipping too far ahead, but I think this is what actually impresses Darius as well. That you know what? He continues to do the same thing and be faithful in light of everything that goes on. I think it definitely demonstrates to him. The Darius has has seen this consistency over and over and over out of Daniel. 
to where when we get to the response that happens later, we can see that Darius isn't just um, he's not he's not surprised. You know, he's not surprised by by any of it. So verse 14 is interesting because it says, you know, so now once this has happened and the men have come to him and said, well, you know, Daniel uh, is still bowing before his God. The king says uh, it says the king was sore displeased with himself. So he was very upset with himself. And he sets his heart to deliver Daniel. And he labored until the going down of the sun, trying to find a way to deliver him. I love that. I do mm-hmm. too. It speaks to their relationship. Mm-hmm. And his yeah. respect for Daniel. Yeah. No longer yeah. a, a servant, but a friend. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And after only a year. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, I think it speaks to something you were saying there earlier, uh, Amy, where where perhaps uh, Darius was this young man who had been influenced by by uh, Daniel over time. Well, over a year, mm-hmm. uh, and but and already already was seeing him as somebody to be respected and honored and, and to be trustworthy. So yeah, D- uh, Darius does. He realizes that he's been pushed into this corner. And he tries to get out of punishing Daniel, but he can't. Um, they just insist that law is binding, and so it, and it can't be changed. And so Darius really is left with no choice but to make the command to have Daniel thrown to the lions. And we call this a a den. Really, it's kind of probably more like a pit when you hear the when you see the description of it, because there's a when when Daniel is put in, they. They cover it. They cover the top of it with a stone. And so it's probably something that's been dug out specifically for holding lions. I don't know how many lions are in there. I do know it's not a place I think I'd want to be. But he puts them in there. And I love what he says before he puts them in. It's Darius who says it. It's not Daniel. Because remember Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were going into, into the furnace, they said... Our God can save us, but even if he doesn't, we'll still follow him. But it's Darius who says, your God, whom you serve continually. See, he's he's noticed you serve continually. He will deliver you. And I think it's awesome that it's Darius is the one who says that. I do, Faith too. By an unbeliever. Say that again, Tracy. Faith by an unbeliever. Yeah, well, is he an unbelievable? Is he an unbelievable? Is he an unbeliever, though? He's, he's getting converted. He might not know it. Right, yeah. right, right. It's but he's getting converted. Because it, it it sounds like he recognizes the yeah. power of God. He recognizes the authority of God. Has he committed to, to God yet? I think maybe it's very similar to how Nebuchadnezzar was, where it was obvious that he was recognizing God's abilities, God's strength, but hadn't really committed to being a follower. So maybe that's kind of where commit. Darius is. Yeah, the acknowledgement, but can't commit. What comes to my mind is when Jesus says, ye are my witnesses, you know, because here's just a faithful old man who's just keeping the faith, and he is a witness to a foreign king. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, Darius has he's got position to consider. He's got uh, you know he's got the whole kingdom watching him to see what he's going to do, and and for some people that makes it hard to commit to this sort of thing. But so yep, they they lay the stone on the mouth of the den over the pit, and it's sealed with Darius's own ring. 
so that nobody can mess with it. And uh, Daniel is left there. And see, speaking more to the 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 relationship they must have had, the king stays up all night long and he's fasting. That's so cool. It is. Mm-hmm. It's so interesting. Yeah, you don't fast. I don't know. I've never fasted for somebody that I wasn't. Uh, well, let's face it. I'm not. I haven't. I've never really been big on fasting. But I'm. You know, do it for somebody that you don't know. Seems that's a commitment. It's a commitment. And I don't think that that's obviously not the case here with with Darius because he's really worried about Daniel. Well, he, um, no entertainment, said, no nothing. It's yeah. just no him in solitude. Really, I think worried, legitimately worried, and concentrating on his friend. Hmm. Yeah, all night long, all night long. Because it would be simple. Well, simple. If he didn't have the relationship with Daniel that he did, it could have been the simplest thing. For him to go back, have have dinner, nice glass of wine, bring on the bring on the minstrel, you know, and let's uh, let's just go on with our night, have a good night's sleep. But that is absolutely not what happens here. He stays up all night long, won't eat, won't take anything like that. And he goes early in the morning to the den. I wonder how long he waited, you know, because, you know, did he wait for the sun to come up? Did he go before the same sun came up? Not that it really matters. I just, I just wonder how long he was able to wait before he could go see what happened to his friend. You know, I wonder if just him being the king, if he didn't set the tone. If he wanted to be up there at the crack of dawn, he could tell his people, "Let's, we're going to be there the first thing in the morning." Yeah. You know, so I'm sure it kind of was just up to him. There's kind of echoes in this too, right? Of the of the resurrection and the and the friends of Jesus coming to the tomb, which was you know, was also certain death. It was mm-hmm. death. Yeah, I never really considered that, but I you're absolutely right. Until just now, like I'm reading it and I'm thinking, you know, he runs to where Daniel is, you know, surely dead. Mm-hmm. But he's not. <laughs> it's sort of a Schrodinger's cat situation and there's actual cats in there. <laughs> you know, right. for, for Darius all night long, Daniel is alive and dead because he just doesn't know right. he has no idea what's happened he I, it seems that he he has shown a little faith that god can rescue daniel and uh, he's impressed by daniel's faith and he, yeah he's impressed by daniel's faith but does he really know that god has rescued daniel and i don't i suspect not but i don't know I'm not i'm not in his shoes but but yes just much like Mary going to the tomb on the third day, she was fully expecting to find a body. Mm-hmm. And maybe Darius was too. Maybe he was expecting to see a grisly scene down in the pit of his friend, whatever might have been left over down there. And well, in verse 20, it says, he said with a lamentable voice or a pitiful voice, Daniel, you know, mm-hmm. like he's mm-hmm. calling to him, but it, but he's doing so with a timid voice. Yeah, so he's not sure. Yeah, and he called. He said, "What he calls out, he says, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions?" So yeah, he does. I guess he doesn't know. He doesn't know. He's hopeful. He's hopeful because he does know that Daniel serves this God all the time. He's noticed. He he has noticed that God is that Daniel is faithful to his God, and then. 
Darius gets a response from Daniel. Oh, king, live forever. What an interesting level of commitment that Daniel continues to show. This is the guy. And I suppose Daniel knows that it wasn't really Darius. But nevertheless, this is the guy who had him tossed into a den of hungry lions to be torn apart and eaten. And the mm-hmm. first words out of his mouth right. when he's greeted by Darius in the morning, oh, king, live forever. <laughs> because like we had read before, he was already privy to the fact that they manipulated the king. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't think he held held it, you know, against Darius at all. But I think that also stands to to the commitment that he had in knowing the prophecy that said, you know what? This is how I'm going to show myself a servant to every king that I have to serve. Mm, excellent. I like that. Mm, yeah. That is a, it is a, it's just an interesting an interesting commitment that he's able to keep and it's it's inspiring, you know. He says an angel closed the lion's mouths. What did that, you know, did he see the angels? Did he you know, did he have opportunity to talk with them maybe? Yeah, did they spend the night with him? Yeah, did they spend the night? Did they continually keep the lions away? Or were the lions just somehow calmed down and chilling out in there with him? You know, I've seen paintings and stuff of Daniel sitting there with the lions like he's like he's petting them and things. I don't uh, I don't know if that would have been the case. My sneaking suspicion is that it would have been a rather terrifying night. Just wondering if and when things were going to get ugly and those lions were going to pounce you know i doubt it but maybe not maybe no i i doubt it i think i think i think any servant of god knows that god can do anything the question is the question is not can he the question is is he going to intervene right now for me in this moment that's Mm -hmm. the question that's shadrach meshach and abednego facing the furnace like we know that our god can but even if he doesn't we're still not going to worship your stupid image right, right? Mm-hmm. right. that's what that is. so i suspect when he got tossed down there he was at peace with his life at peace with whatever might happen but also nervous and watching right nobody wants to get torn apart by giant kitties right so uh probably within 30 seconds he realized that there were angels, that the lions were not going to harm him. And then from then on, how 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 can you be nervous? What are the ch- angels going to change their mind? Like, oh, you're Cinderella. We're only going to protect you until midnight. So <laughs> now, you're, now your blessing is gone. Because did you hear the chimes of the church clock over there? You know what I mean? Like, that's, that's not how that works. So yeah. I don't know. I think probably he had an anxious few minutes. And then after that, he just lived a night of miracle. Yeah, no, I like that. I like the idea of being able to let just let it wash over you that something really amazing is happening and you're right in the middle of it. So, you know, I, I agree with Karen, too. I think he knew automatically because when you get into those kind of those kind of torturing and sacrificial kind of things, he wasn't getting thrown into a pit where the lions had, you know, eaten every single day and they were pretty much pacified. They're usually ravenous beast. So the and if we kind of skip along, not to give too much ahead, but. When the other people, from the minute they got put in there, they went after him. So I think Daniel also knew, like she said, in the first few seconds, he knew that, okay, 
they're either going to snatch me up when they're lowering me down there or it's not going to happen and I've been delivered. I think that's how it went. It was going to be fast or it wasn't going to be at all. And mm-hmm. I think then he was resolved. But then I also think about, too, um, with Stephen being stoned, sometimes you just go into another place. Your faith takes you to another place. Yeah. Where, like his companion said, if it's going to happen, it's going to happen. But we're okay with it. So you're okay with that that aspect of it. And I think my hope is that, you know, he wouldn't, wouldn't have a terror-filled episode if that was the way his life was going to end. That, you know, God would have said, you know what? It's going to happen, but you don't have to endure it. Yeah. Oh, I like that. I, I, I can dig that. Yeah, I was just thinking about this whole story as a veterinarian because, you know, in my line of work, it's like we would all, everyone in my office would rather face a German shepherd or a pit bull than an angry cat because a little kitty might be eight pounds, but they're sharp everywhere. Like every <laughs> bit of that animal is sharp and they do, they come at you, they fight, they're mean. But I can just imagine this scene, right? Because he clearly says uh, to Darius, my God hath sent his angel. So I think he actually saw the angel and the angel probably, you know, was this big, bold person who turns to the cats and says, sit down. And they just <laughs> obeyed him, you know, and I that's how I imagine it. I just well, that I, right there is a miracle because I've never once met a cat that was obedient. So. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> True that. So my just just so you know, Amy, the vet that I used for my kitties in um, Colorado when I lived there used to call uh, giving a cat an enema a chainsaw rodeo. (laughs) Yes, that's awesome. Oh, my goodness. I had a very plump kitty who became constipated. She was already plump. She did not need to retain any more bulk. I took her in. They gave her some stuff. They said, give it up to a week to work. If it doesn't work, we'll give her an enema. And I pictured that and I said, do you sell tickets to those events? (laughs) And she said, it takes a whole team of us in full protective gear and we call it a chainsaw rodeo. And I was like, I want to (laughs) watch. Oh, I love it. Oh, gosh. Cats are are feisty creatures. Thank heavens for (laughs) pharmaceuticals, right? (laughs) <laughs> oh that's awesome <laughs> so something was concur- uh, occurring to me here though i mean it's a general belief that with shadrach meshach and abednego that it was jesus there mm-hmm. in the furnace with them mm-hmm. i wonder if it's jesus in the den with daniel oh keep, interesting keeping the lions back obviously the text well, doesn't daniel say that his angels Mm-hmm. He said that. Well, I know, but a lot of times Jesus is referred to as an angel, and that's you know not saying that he's a created thing. That, but you know, it's like the angel of the Lord is a lot of times uh, a reference to Jesus, what they call a Christophanes. And so, I just wonder if this was, if this was an underling, if you want to call it that, or mm-hmm. if this was Jesus himself there mm-hmm. telling the telling the kitties to sit down. So the. The reason I think, right, that we think that with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego is because what Nebuchadnezzar says, and the fourth Mm -hmm. is like the Son of God. So, and there's nothing similar to that in this passage, but you're right, there's nothing that also precludes that. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. You know, but I wonder if if Daniel had so much interaction with with Jesus already Mm -hmm. 
that he wouldn't have known. And, you know, given the credit where credit is due, where, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe he was saying it simply to Darius, you know what? My God is able and he Mm -hmm. controls everything. And all he needed to do was send an angel down here to shut the lion's mouth. And I'm okay. Yeah. You know, because I'm wondering, too, if it was it was literally God or Jesus, I would if it was me, I would proclaim it to everybody. I would make sure that they knew it was my God. That's a good but point. He's, but he simply said, my God has sent his angels. And oh, that's true. Out. It does say my God hath sent his angels. Yes. Right, right, right. So he, yeah. You know, I'm still a servant, but he looked at me favorably enough to send angels to take care of me. Yeah. But, you know, I, I also like, too, that everybody has that reckoning moment where Nebuchadnezzar had his, you know, with um, saying, you know what? Daniel, your God, or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, your God is above all the other gods. And I think Darius has the same thing, where we kind of kind of wrap it up at, at 26, where he makes the decree. Yeah, so ultimately Daniel gets pulled out of the lion's den, which I, I, I like that he's able to be pulled out. Because it, as, I, as you consider what you're told is written there, there's nothing in the law that said they had to actually die at the at in in the den. They just had to be tossed in there. And so Daniel comes out, and I like that the the law got fulfilled, and and Daniel is now free from that. Huh? I think there might be there might be more to consider with that. The law got fulfilled, and <laughs> and right, Daniel right. and Daniel goes away unharmed. Nice. There's a, I think there's a, there's a parallel to, to be, to no. be drawn there. I just it's thought a, of that. It's a triumphant finish. You know what I yeah, mean? They didn't, sure. you don't expect people to be pulled out. And when he comes out, you know, saying that, and it doesn't say he said it in a, in a small voice, they were yelling at each other. Mm-hmm. So I'm sure the King wasn't the only person that heard him. I, I'm sure those other presidents were around too, to gloat. Yeah. And then it's like, What? Yeah. Can you imagine oh, yeah. the look on their faces? What? <laughs> yeah, absolutely not what they expected to find. Right. All they ended up doing really was putting Daniel even higher mm-hmm. in status than he had been before. Because now he's also the guy who survived the night in the lion's den. Even oh, though I thought you were going to say all they did was die. <laughs> well, you're giving away the story, Karen. <laughs> oh, sorry. <laughs> giving away the endings, boy. Yeah, I just wanted to see what it says in in other versions. I love how it reads at the end of 23. It says Daniel was pulled up unhurt because he believed in his God. I mean, it's as simple as that because he believed him. Mm -hmm. Love that. Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, it's a simple it's a simple statement with a lot uh, with a lot writing on it just because Mm -hmm. he believed in his God, Abraham. How does that go? He was. Um, it was counted to him for righteousness. There you go. Yeah, Thank you. He believed, he believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. That's where I was trying to remember. And yeah, it was just, it was right there on the tip of my tongue and I could not get it out. I had to count on you guys. Yeah. Yeah. So now. I guess it's not a good thing to fool the king or not not a good thing to trick the king because Darius seems probably pretty immediately. He has those men. uh, Tracy's been referring to them as presidents, and I think that's as 
good a term as any, has them tossed in, but not just them. He has their children and their wives thrown in with them. Now, we might think that's harsh. It is harsh. It's definitely harsh. Uh, this is one of those situations where, yes, it says it in the Bible. Doesn't mean that that's what God said to do. But uh, at any rate, um, the king has this done. You know, and I, I looked at that and, you know, like we were talking about, but you know how Amy was kind of describing, you know, cats are vicious, vicious. Mm-hmm. And it speaks to that right here at the bottom of 24. Yes. That the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones into pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They yep. were waiting for them at the opening. Yeah. So that tells me a couple of things. One, these are definitely hungry, vicious <laughs> lions. These are not, they're not, you know, the ones you see at the circus that, you know, that, that are were used to somebody. These are not the ones that you're going to, uh, see somebody going in and petting them and wrestling with them. These are very hungry, vicious beasts. Um, it also tells me that probably there were quite a few of them in there. Because if you figure it is, what, there were, was it three or four total, including Daniel? I'm trying to remember now. It was um, three governors, including Daniel. So two, at least two other guys. Plus his family. So if two guys plus a wife, assuming they only had one, plus children, even if they each had two, you know, what are we up to now? Two, four, at least eight. You could probably figure, you know, maybe a dozen or more people tossed in and very quickly killed, mangled, maimed. So this was not a safe place for Daniel to have been other than. His God was protecting him all night long. And I don't know. Do you think this is where Darius commits? I do get the impression that Darius definitely converts. I get, you know, I think that. I think that he, it's not, I think it goes beyond lip service for him. Because here he then, he makes a decree that everyone in the kingdom must tremble in fear before the God of Daniel. He says, for he is the living God. That is a big, bold statement for a king to make. It really about, is, yeah. About the God of a captive. So is yeah. this his is this his conversion moment, you think? I think maybe it is. It is. It's just, it's but, kind of hard to understand that behavior coming from, like, mm. we live after the coming of Christ, who shows the world, the love of God and the kindness of God, etc. Whereas they lived in a very brutal time in history. And so his response is, you know, this violent uh, end of Daniel's enemies. And then the rest of his response is, hey, let's identify the living God and worship him. Mm -hmm. But it's also not a time of religious freedom. Right, right, right. But Yeah. yeah, yeah. Even even though at this point it is a follower of God who said this, it, there's nowhere that says God told him, throw those guys in that pit. You know? Correct. Yeah, that was and his decision. That was his decision. And then the decree, this decree is a little different than others because there's been some, we've seen some kings make, de- like, 
like decrees with a death penalty on it if you didn't worship God. And that doesn't seem to be what Darius is doing here. He's just um, making a proclamation that this is the guy. This is the God. This is, or as he put it, the living God. I don't know what his religious proclivities were towards uh, before this. Of course, it matter. Versions. No, it doesn't. Did he give it all up at this point? I don't know. You know, it's interesting to think because we've talked about this before. Like these are these are countries and eras and generations where people believe in more than one God. This, these are polytheistic places. And and so the idea of believing in this God is it be, that becomes less impactful in my mind. And so, but who was it? Was it was it Nebuchadnezzar that referred to him, referred to Daniel as Daniel's God, as the God above all gods and the, the, the God of gods and the Lord above all lords or something like that. So like in his head, there's still other gods. They're just lesser now. So there's a, a recognition of supremacy without necessarily converting to a monotheistic point of view where you now go and study the mosaic scroll you see what i'm getting at Mm -hmm. so i i don't i don't know i just they i think it's cool that they were able to coming from that complete background i think it was i think it's really really just beautiful that they were able to recognize that there is one god above all of the power sources that they've ever believed in and these are these are these are kings that have diviners and astronomers and soothsayers on their team. Like their cabinet is made up of of supernatural connectors. And yet here comes the God of gods and the Lord of lords, and they go, "Oh, that's this this guy's bigger than anyone." And it reminds me of how God would describe himself in some of the books that we've already read. Where he, ta- he compares himself to the gods around him. And he basically says, no, I'm God over all of your gods. I'm God over all of your stuff. I'm God over all of your gods. I'm bigger. And that, uh, well, I mean, that alone is a huge statement for Darius to make then. Knowing that there is all this other influence in the area. Because, I mean, he doesn't pull any punches with it. I mean, he, comes, he says... Um, says he is the living God and steadfast forever. His king his kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed and his dominion shall endure to the end. So he's definitely recognizing that this is that this God is pretty amazing. This is a God of gods and so uh, that is uh, that's no small thing. And the chapter basically ends pretty simply by simply just saying that Daniel prospered under Darius and Cyrus the Persian. Uh, So um, Daniel goes on. He goes on to continue and be, uh, to be an influence and um, do well. And uh, it's because, it's because he is faithful. He's continually faithful and he doesn't, he doesn't stop. He doesn't, he doesn't slow down. He doesn't stop to think about whether or not he's going to do it. I think he's just done it to the point where this is, this is his, this is his life. This is what he does. It's how he lives. And, uh, this is why we see, this is why we see him being able to stand up in these trials. 
Yeah, and I think Tracy really hit on something, and that's that he was just so able to walk this line between total loyalty to his God, so not really walking on a, a, you know, like not really walking on a line. That was a bad analogy, but he's completely loyal to his God, and yet he always does the right thing by the king that he's helping that he you know in whose service he is which is very interesting because most people can't find that mm-hmm. yeah it's definitely with politics it seems like there is a almost i don't know if it's a necessity but it sure seems like politicians seem to think that there's a necessity to scrape and claw and grab and um do and say whatever you got to do to keep the position. And that's not Daniel's way here. He simply oh. he is simply following his God. And and within that, he is able to serve this king. You know, I think that just that speaks volumes on on Daniel is that. In light of everything, watching his his country implode getting shipped off in exile but is still living by those prophecies of jeremiah where it's like you know what you will be there for 70 years you know what learn from your mistake don't run away to egypt embrace it do your best there and be restored Mm -hmm. and he's taken all that and he said you know what from the very beginning, even with the diet, you know what? Let us try it. Let us show you, you know, how our God works. And he continues to demonstrate that at every opportunity. Let me show you how my God works. You know, and I, I think some back, back in time to where I heard this great analogy that said, you know what? You don't have to proclaim yourself as a witness. You could just live it day by day in your actions. Hmm. And sometimes mm-hmm. that speaks more than just mere words. But how do you live it? Yeah. Yeah. You don't need to be constantly shouting it from the mountaintop. I mean, I know that that's a popular phrase. You know, you want to shout your faith from the mountaintop. And uh, I mean, uh, there's times for that, you know, but um, there's times when it's just just being an example can can show so much by just living consistently uh and uh not wavering from it that shows a lot well i think that is going to finish our discussion on daniel 6. next week we will be getting into daniel chapter 7 so i would encourage our listeners to read that chapter and while you are reading that, waiting for us, remember that you can reach out to us at attbpodcast at theadventure.org. Uh, search us up on Facebook. Remember to share the podcast with your friends and family. And remember to subscribe to the podcast so that we can reach you in your feed each and every week. We look forward to talking to you again next week. Thanks for listening.